Gentle listener, I have an exciting offer for you today. If you've been enjoying being a fly on the wall during my coaching sessions with Lou and are wondering how it would feel to be the one in the hot seat, now is your chance. Starting September 15th, that's Friday, I will be giving away 30 free 90-minute coaching sessions. Yes, 30. I'm calling this the Wild Why Project, and we'll be focusing on relevance and your reason for being. The project runs through October. So if you're curious about what having the support of a coach would be like, run to the show notes and click on the link to grab yourself a spot. This project will fill, and I won't be running another one until next year. If you're from the future and listening to this podcast after October 2023, hi, do not despair. Go to my website, www.emmawittard.com and sign up for the newsletter. Then you'll get a notice next time I run a project in 2024. I hope to get to meet you one-to-one, face-to-face, on Zoom in the very near future. And now on to the show. The rules we grew up with were never meant for us. It's time for a change. Welcome to Becoming Wild. This podcast will support you in untethering from conditioning, examining limiting beliefs around womanhood and value, and tapping into your innate power. Because when women embody our truest, wildest selves, we change much more than our own lives. We change the world. I'm your host, Emma Whittard. Hello. Welcome to episode nine of Becoming Wild. I'm your host, Emma Whittard, and I'm coming to you today from my home in Pasadena, California. This is our third episode dedicated to our inner voices. These are the ways that we speak to ourselves, and they can show up as mean and negative, or as supportive and positive. Getting to know them is an important part of learning to control how we talk to ourselves in a way that serves us. Today's show is focused on an interview with podcaster Eric Huang. Eric and I have been coaching together for a number of years, and over that time, we have learned how his inner voice was shaped by the patriarchy and judged him against a standard that really had nothing to do with what he actually wanted. I have seen him change that voice dramatically over time to become far more supportive and positive and based in a wisdom that is all his own. But Before we get to our conversation, let's see what wild question has dropped into my inbox this week. S writes, Dear Emma, lately I've been questioning my self-worth. I was laid off a couple of months ago, so have updated my resume and asked for other people to review and help me craft what I feel is a really solid CV. I've been applying to jobs that I know I would be great at doing. My skills and career accomplishments are pretty impressive if I do say so myself. So why am I still jobless? Everyone keeps telling me you'll find the right job. And for a while I agreed with them. But I haven't even had one interview. So I'm starting to doubt myself now. I believe in my superpowers. So why isn't anyone even giving me a chance? Maybe it's just that my resume doesn't accurately reflect my skills, but I've gotten help from professionals, so I don't think that's it. Am I as good as I think I am? What if I'm not? Thank you for your question, S. I'm sorry that you're going through this. You said you were laid off a couple of months ago. Statistically, it's likely to take 6 to 18 months to find a new job, depending on your level and the job market at the time. So you've been looking for a couple of months and you haven't had an interview yet. 
and you've been looking over the summer when people generally check out a bit. What's the data over the drama here? I'm guessing from your note that you're fairly senior. At a senior level, you're 70% likely to get your next job from someone you know. You say you've been applying for jobs. Does that mean that you've been sending applications out to jobs you're seeing online? Into the abyss? Or have you been reaching out to humans who you know? It's likely to make a big difference to the efficacy of your job search. How many people who you know and would like to work with have you talked to? Your first mission is to reach out and talk to them. Do you know what you want? Make sure you can articulate it clearly and ask them if they know someone who could help. Considering that you've only been looking for a few months over the summer, it isn't that surprising that you haven't had an interview yet. So what is the purpose of the self-doubt creeping in so soon? You said, why isn't anyone even giving me a chance? Is it really true that no one is giving you a chance? I would argue that you are the one not giving you a chance. You've only just begun your job search. At one point you say, I believe in my superpowers. But then you say, am I as good as I think I am? What if I'm not? It sounds like you have two conflicting inner voices at play here. Who will serve you better in your job search? The inner critic or the inner mentor? What are the conditions that allow the critic to come through? And what are the conditions that allow for the mentor? I would recommend that you spend as much time with your inner wise one as possible. You can use the meditation from episode eight to get you there. It's also easier generally to hear your inner mentor when you're taking care of yourself and doing something creative and or in nature. So lean into these things while you're looking for the new job. Are you treating yourself with compassion? A layoff is a traumatic event it takes time to heal from. Please look after yourself as much as you can and connect with your inner mentor. And then hopefully you'll be in a better state of mind to identify and go for the job that you really want. I hope that something in this response is helpful to you. Let me know how this lands with you and if you have more questions. Sending you lots of love. Before we get to the interview, I need to tell you that I was having sound issues when we recorded this. I had Wi-Fi problems that affected this one and the episode before. So apologies for the patchy sound. And now on to my guest. Eric Kwong is the creator and host of one of my very favorite shows, Saint Podcast, a history and culture podcast. It explores stories of the saints through the lens of queer and feminist narratives, ancient legends and lore, art history, and pop culture. He's also a writer and a lecturer at City University London's Publishing MA course. Eric has been fascinated by storytelling and the natural world since he was a boy in Los Angeles. He studied paleontology with aspirations of digging for fossils as a living. But the reality of fieldwork, e.g. mosquitoes, did not live up to his Jurassic Park dreams. After a year of doing odd jobs, giving tram tours at Universal Studios, and reading scripts for Hollywood agents, Eric landed a temp position as a secretary at Disney and fell into a career in children's publishing. In the last 20 plus years, Eric has lived in Los Angeles, Melbourne, and London. He's worked with companies and brands from Penguin to Lego that would have made his nine-year-old self shout with excitement. 
Eric lives in London with his cat McNulty and continues to be fascinated by storytelling and forgotten histories. He's also a one-to-one coaching client of mine. Eric Wong, welcome to Becoming Wild. How are you? I'm well, and you? Good, I'm hot. Oh, right, oh, right. Heat wave, huh? Yeah, total heat wave here, and the air conditioning's not working properly, so apologies if you can hear the fan in the background. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Okay, I know that my listeners will be curious about St. Podcast. Can you tell us what it's all about, what inspired you to create it, and what your mission is for it, please? Sure. So I'm relatively new to podcasts in general. I didn't listen to them until the pandemic, and I naturally gravitated towards history podcasts um, and sort of nonfiction podcasts. And I was searching for a podcast that treated saint stories or hagiographies from a historic cultural point of view. And everything I found was very devotional, which is cool, but just not my thing. And so I was complaining about this to my boyfriend, who then just said, just make one. So I thought, okay. So I started making one. And it was a pandemic. So I was working, but you know, it was different. I had loads of time to do something. And starting St. Podcast really filled the time. And what it meant was I was researching. So each of the episodes is about a saint. And we tell the story everyone knows. But then I go back and I guess uncover the history of it, how the story has changed through time, and what older legends, a lot of Greek, Roman, but also Persian, Indian, Chinese, and world myths and world beliefs have contributed to the saint's biography um, and then kind of fast forward into the future and talk about pop culture and their relevance today yeah it's just been super fun and it's it's, a, it's been a great excuse to be able to just go down rabbit holes of interesting things that i never knew before and hopefully is new to everyone listening as well mm, i i love the show it's I mean, honestly, I think it was the first podcast I ever listened to. I mean, like like yeah. you, I wasn't really into them before the pandemic. Yeah. And I think you inspired me to listen. Cool. I loved yours. And then it sort of led me to others. I love the fact that what you did was you made something that you wanted to listen to. It didn't already exist. They do say that's a recipe for success. Right. As you know, with this podcast, Emma, that it's a lot of work. So if it's something you're doing that you're not into, it gets it gets boring really quickly. I mean, there are times when it's just sort of, I just want this to be done. And if I didn't love it so much, I don't think I would have the energy to continue with it. So, yeah, you have to love it. Yeah, yeah. Your, your podcasts are absolutely crammed full of information and storytelling I can imagine it takes hours and hours and hours of research and writing to put together they're really rich yeah yeah thanks I'm I'm glad you get that out of listening (laughs) (laughs) maybe I do so when you tell the story of a saint you as you've said you you don't just tell the sort of standard story of the day, if there even is one. And frankly, what I've learned from, from your podcast is that there generally isn't. But you really give the background to it. You, you explain how, how it's built up over time and how it's changed. And certainly the impression that I get from it is this wonderful sense of context um, and a sense that these stories that we're told that we're grown up with they're not black and white they're not set in stone they've come from somewhere they've come from a historical context they've come from a cultural context there were people involved with agendas so for me it it opens my mind, I feel, when I, when I listen to one of your podcasts. What was your mission or what is your mission for these podcasts? How would you like them to be received in the world? 
Well, first of all, I'm, I'm glad you get so much out of it. Um, that, that makes me really happy to hear. I think what my mission is, it was really to tell these stories that I think are pretty cool. They're, you know, the, the saints, when I was growing up, I was raised Catholic. And growing up, saints were sort of like, they were like X-Men. They were superheroes. Each one had a power. Each one, you know, prayed to this saint for this, this saint for that. And I think growing up, even though I'm no longer practicing, I still think the stories are very cool and they're rooted in humans and human stories. And there's so many cognates around the world of the same story being told different ways with the same basic archetypal characters. And I suppose it's about, for me, the point is to pull out these stories and show the humanity in them and show how culture changes it and perhaps put put forth a version of these stories, sometimes the original versions, which were more nuanced than they are today in terms of gender identity or race or just what's acceptable and what isn't. And I think it, it's just, it's about showing a different side to this story, but also not picking sides or not making a decision or judgment, but to say that I suppose like, like everything, whether it's something you're watching on Netflix or listening, you know, on with headphones, it's about what you get out of it. Mm, and, yeah. and there's no right or wrong. And these stories have changed so many times um, and in different ways, depending on where they move to. And as you said, the agendas of the people behind the change, but sometimes it's all very organic as well. The way, you know, these Christian stories that, originated maybe some of them probably from rome but how they changed not only when it spread through medieval europe but in modern times when it went to india when it went to mexico or you know e even today so i just think they're they're living stories that tell more about who we are than anything else yeah i, I get so much out of them and i i really enjoy the what I would call the feminist element, of course, that's something that I pull yeah. out of them. So often you do talk about saints who were women or, or who identified as women and the trials and tribulations that they went through, you know, layer there often just, just because they're women trying to do the things that they're trying to do in the world. Absolutely. And I think the other point is that a lot of these stories written about women, um, whether they were real or not, and some were, some weren't, they were written by men. Yeah. So, you know, what really happened is sometimes difficult to get to because it's always told through the lens of, and not just any man, it's usually the men in power who yeah. have an agenda, who have a reason to frame the story this way or that way. But it's yeah. fun unpicking that and you know, reading, reading a lot of contemporary sources, contemporaneous sources and contemporary sources to try to pick that apart and just offer the, the different alternatives that exist. Yes, absolutely. So I have, a, I have an impromptu question here for you. <laughs> All right. Who is your favorite saint and why? That, that's very easy. My favorite saint is Saint Sebastian. And the reason is because I, he's, he's the unofficial patron saint of gay men and, and queer people. I, I'm, I'm gay myself, but I've always been drawn to him, even as a boy, before I knew I was gay or knew what that was. And his story is about someone who he was uh, a Praetorian guard in the Roman Empire so, which is the, the emperor's private guard. They're sort of like the Navy SEALs of the ancient world. And he was the captain of the guard, but he was a secret Christian and kept his identity secret. And once his identity was leaked, he was then uh, martyred, killed, and, and became a saint. So I think what I, de identify, I identify him in him is the fact that he hid his identity, that he he had to pretend to be something he wasn't, which is something that, you know, I, before coming out and even I think all of my identity has to do with the things I want to show, the things I hide from, the things I run from. And St. Sebastian as a figure who did this, yeah, really, really resonated with me. Yeah. And the, the St. Sebastian episode is, is absolutely 
fascinating. Hmm. So I would highly recommend, well, I recommend all of the episodes. <laughs> but that's one of my favorites as well. Very cool. So you mentioned the factor of being gay, of being something different from the patriarchal norm, which is the white, heterosexual, cis man. As you know, Becoming Wild is about deconditioning from the stories that were given as kids. For women, these stories generally have their roots in the patriarchy. But as you've already alluded, patriarchy doesn't just hurt those of us who identify as women. So can you talk us through your own wild history? Sure. How how you became the person you are today, creating your own stories and meaning in the world, and what stories and beliefs you had to get out from underneath in the process. Yeah. I was born in in the early 70s, so I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. And the type of boy I was, before we moved to California, so when I was, say, seven to nine, we lived in New Jersey. And the boy I was then is what people back then would have called very girly. I was very sissy. I, you know, according to family members and other adults, I talked like a girl, I walked like a girl, I liked girly things. And that included wanting to being very creative. I drew all the time. I liked coloring. I liked sparkly things. And those were things that a boy wasn't supposed to be. And my parents, and particularly my dad, you know, thought this, 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 wasn't, this wasn't right. And he really instructed me on how to be a boy, how to be a man. And that, that included dissuading me from doing anything creative. So rather than taking, say, sculpting class or painting class as I wanted, I joined Little League. I was on the tennis team. And I did fine there, but I was never able to really explore that creative side. And I did, I was forced to take piano, but I'm also, I'm also Chinese American. And I think, you know, any Chinese Americans listening there, we all have to take piano. So it was just something I had to do. And that was a great creative outlet, but, you know, I I wasn't allowed, I wasn't really allowed to do other things. So I was raised to be, I, I was raised and changed to be what, everyone around me thought was what the patriarchy accepted in a son to be the perfect son. And when I, you know, by the, by the time I was in high school, I, you know, I talked like a man, I was walking like a man, I was doing manly things. And, but by the time I went to college or university, I really thought that I wanted to do something creative still, but my parents who were going to pay for me said, no, you have to do something. Uh, maybe ideally if you did something uh, by biology to be a doctor, to go into pre-med. So I really loved dinosaurs and have done ever since I was a kid. And because paleontology was in the biology department, my parents were like, is that biology? And I was like, yes. Is that pre-med? Sure. So they were happy to pay <laughs> for me to get a paleontology degree, which I don't regret because paleontology is... It, it's 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 a very narrative science. The the other students in the the earth sciences department that we were part of always made fun of us because you know oh here's a bone oh the dinosaur was happy when it was eating this is what you guys do whereas you had geologists and physicists who were all about something very concrete and measurable. So I think even given the the strict confines that my my dad really allowed me to do in at university. I did find the the one I think the one strand that had the bit of creativity that that I that I was craving and the storytelling I was craving. Mm. Yeah, you were drawing meaning from history from yes. ancient, very yes. ancient Absolutely. Well, you know, which is similar to what I'm doing with St. Podcast is just finding the, the hidden history behind this thing, which happened to just be a petrified piece of bone or an impression of a leaf or something. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Yeah, that yeah. Rest, that's that strength, that compulsion to do that thing. Absolutely. There was no way somehow I was going to get off that track. Yeah. So, but as you mentioned in the beginning, the paleontology didn't happen because the field work was just not 
you know, it wasn't like what it was like on TV. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't fun. It was, it was hard work. It was, you know, there were mosquitoes. We were, we were in the Amazon for a bit and it was, which I was really outdoorsy, but I fooled myself into thinking I wanted to live in the outdoors. And ultimately after doing field work, I sort of had, I had to tell myself, Eric, look, you want, you're from LA, you want to shower, you want your MTV, you like to escape to the wilderness, you don't want to live here. So I quit, moved back home to my parents and just thought I would then start scratching that creative itch. And I thought, you know, my parents are in LA, this is Hollywood, I want to work in films. So I started doing all these odd jobs. I was an intern and a runner on various B-movie productions and director video productions. I worked at Universal Studios, as you mentioned, as a tour guide. And I just started temping. And the first temp job I got was at Disney, uh, working for the creative director of Disney Publishing. And we got along. He offered me a permanent role. And I ended up landing in publishing. And over the course of the next nearly 30 years, I, I worked in publishing. And it was great. And I, I don't regret it. Although after 30 years, sorry, yeah, yeah, where where we met at Disney. Um, And then, and I met so many people, I traveled the world, I I learned so much. And, you know, for most of my career, I was a children's publisher. And what I was doing was I was helping, I was helping people make things. There were people who were creating things and I was helping them to mold it and helping them publish it. And towards the end of that 30, 30 or so years, I started realizing that I wanted to be the one making stuff. And being on the publisher's side became something that I just didn't like anymore and was just found harder and harder to do the politics, the, 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 the meetings, the spreadsheets. I wanted to just spend my time making stuff. And during the pandemic, I started making the podcast and it just felt so different from all the other work I was doing. And it was something that I just, I felt like I had to do. And I, you know, I, I was working with you at the time, Emma, and I think you, you helped me realize this, all of this, and, and realize that I could just say, you know what, I'm going to stop. I'm going to take a year off, become a maker. I had saved a, a bunch of money from my years of being in publishing. And I thought, I thought, oh, it wasn't enough. There's no way I can do it. I'm going to die. You know, I'm going to starve. But Working with you, I realized these were the stories I was telling myself. It was the, you know, the stories that patriarchy teaches us that you must produce. You must be a good capitalist producer, make stuff. Don't stop making things, you know, be a cog and be a good cog. But I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I did take the leap and I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm starting this. I, well, I have started this new life and I'm just, I guess I, I'm still getting used to it i've no regrets it's not it's not easy but i love it and i'm looking forward to how it develops now that i'm you know i have several book deals i'm working on the podcast i'm doing events with the podcast i'm now teaching at the university as you mentioned as well which is a different type of thing as well so yeah i i feel like i've i've it's it's like the matrix that point when when Neo actually takes that plug out of his, his yeah. head, yeah, um, I feel like that's happened. Yes, I'm yeah. still a little bit afraid of the real world, and sometimes there's parts of me that wish I'll just put me back in for a second. Yeah, so, but I I know my direction is is in the real world now. Yes, awesome. Yes, I love that. Um, comparison to the matrix i think (laughs) i agree i i think of conditioning like that you know once you have taken which is the pill that's the right one i can't remember red or blue i can't remember which one yeah whichever one it is once you've taken it you can't really untake it right so once your eyes are open they're open and I love what you said. It's not, it's not easy, but I, but I love it. And, and I remember we had a conversation about this, Emma, where I was saying to you, well, the person I am now, I could actually do the job I just had before, which I really didn't like towards the end. 
but you pointed out, but the reality is I wouldn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I could do it now because I view everything in a different way, but I just don't want to. It, it wouldn't serve anything now. No, exactly. Yeah. So how, if you think about who you were when you were a child, who you had to become in order to to fit in with your family and society as you saw it. And then as you began to, I don't know what the word would be, maybe reclaim, <laughs> find these pockets of creativity and ways to be able to be yourself. How did your identity change or how did your relationship to yourself and your identity change over the years? Right. <clears throat> I think that the biggest change is still very recently since the pandemic and since, you know, since we started working on this and, and, I, and I quit my last life, I, you know, began over again. And I think I embraced the aspects of me that I had kind of denied or really were ashamed of and didn't match the patriarchy, the fact that I'm not white, I'm my, my parents are from China, Taiwan in China, and I'm gay. And these were two aspects of my identity that I really, you know, not, not overtly and not even really consciously, but was embarrassed about because it didn't match the straight white model. Yeah. And I think the difference now is I, I remember several times through my life, but, you know, most recently, just a few years ago before the pandemic, when I was out shopping with a friend. And, you know, they're, they're those, those button-down shirts that are collarless. And I mm -hmm. put one on, and my friend, Nicola, she was like, that looks really great on you. I said, no, I look too Chinese. And she stopped and said, that's a bad thing. And I was like, well, yeah, I don't want to look too Chinese. And she's like, well, you are Chinese. And back then, I just thought, uh, Nicola's not a good friend to go shopping with me. She doesn't really know what I look good in. <laughs> and I, I realize now that that... You know, it was me and I, I was the one who was embarrassed about looking more Chinese, but really you couldn't look more Chinese, Eric, you are Chinese. Yeah. And I think with with the, the the queer part of my identity, it's not visible. You know, I was taught to, quote, act straight, whatever that means now. But I no longer hide it. I let people know that I'm gay a lot sooner than I used to in the past. You know, in this kind of subtle way, it's just throwing out there, oh, my boyfriend is, is coming to meet us or something like that. Yeah. So I don't shy from these parts of my identity anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. That was a great story to, to tell, the collar story. <laughs> I think it illustrates that when we, you know, those of us who are not straight white men, when we continue to believe in the values of the patriarchy, we're part of the problem. Mm. We ourselves uphold these values, you not wanting to seem Chinese. Mm. All the women I've known in corporate life who've got where they are by trying to beat them at their own game you know, keeping down other women because they think that there isn't space for more than one of them. And I understand that. I understand that in, in right. the generations gone by. I think it was a stepping stone. But now, you know, in the US and, and in, in Western Europe, I think it's time to step out from this stuff. Yes. While we continue to believe it, we're part of the problem. And I think that whilst there, there's still something to be said about protecting yourself because being queer is not necessarily something that is safe everywhere, not even in big cities. Absolutely. But I think for me personally, and I'm not talking about anyone else, but for me personally, trying to pass is basically collaborating with the other side. Mm, yeah. Giving in. And, yeah. and I, I'm, not, I'm not always brave enough to not do that. And sometimes I, I don't want to because it isn't safe. But I think I'm, I'm aware of the choices I make and why. 
more. I'm I'm aware of it, whereas I wasn't even aware of that before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I find myself, I still find myself judging myself according to patriarchal standards. (laughs) You know, fairly recently, I realized I was still giving myself a hard time about being a single mom. Right. And I thought I'd done that work. (laughs) There are layers and layers of this stuff. You know, even though I know, I know families where with a mother and a father who are absolutely miserable. (laughs) Right. Nothing guarantees happiness. Yeah. Uh, And I'm I'm giving my daughter a good life and and a good beginning. And we have a really strong relationship and I was still considering it not good enough at a subconscious level right so this stuff is it's deep Mm. deep. absolutely Absolutely. I said it before I blame the Romans (laughs) (laughs) they come up a lot on your podcast (laughs) they do (laughs) yes so This is the last of three episodes dedicated to our inner voices. How aware are you now of how you speak to yourself? And is your inner voice generally helping or hindering? I'm very aware, sometimes hyper aware of how I'm speaking to myself, how I'm judging myself or helping myself. I think it's still a balance. I the knee-jerk reactions still happen, but I catch, I, 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 I can interpret them in a different way now. And I see what I'm doing and I understand why my inner voice is saying, oh, you're being lazy. And mm. it's, 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 that, it's a fear because I, you know, I'm still new to this new life as a creator where I'm not making anywhere near the money I used to make. Nothing is as, as secure or as, structured because i don't have a boss i don't have meetings to go to i don't you know it's not nine to five all my time is my own and also the type of work it's a different part of the brain that i'm working with to write all day or to create something versus my job as a publisher i was basically moving information around and i was very good at it but it's different and it's a different type of tired it's a different type of uh, just a different type of life so most of the time when my critic speaks, it's because I feel uncomfortable. I'm, I, I'm not used to this way of being yet. And like mm. we were saying, I'm, I'm not used to the real world yet. I'm getting there. Um, but I'm also starting to, you know, with your help, tap, tap into more the voices that are helpful for me. And to understand when sometimes the critic is there because I do need to listen and be kind to myself and to to allow allow myself free time, allow myself to, quote, be lazy, which is something I judge myself about a lot. But sometimes I just need rest or I just can't be bothered to do something and and realize that it's fine. Deadlines can always move. And if not, I'll get it done. It's, yeah. Yeah, that, and we've talked about this a lot, that transition from corporate life, uh, an office-based job working for somebody else to the the life of a creator or whatever you would classify me as. (laughs) Independent. Listener. Hmm. Yeah, whatever, whatever whatever it is we're doing now that is that is very very different um from the jobs we were doing before it does it does require a different attitude to ourselves and to self-care because i do a lot of deep deep listening deep empathic work i have to Hmm manage my energy really carefully and I think for a creator it's a similar situation and we've talked about this if in order to feel inspired ideally you need to be well resourced well you know you've slept well you've looked after yourself you've got some space 
in your day. Yeah. So how much of a struggle has that been to, to go from that corporate way of being to, to really this creative way of being? It's been tough. And I haven't fixed it yet. Not that it's going to be fixed, but I haven't. It's still something that I that I work through every day. I think an- another aspect of this is that when I was the corporate me, my time was totally filled. I was traveling all the time. I was hardly ever here. I was always busy, meeting, meeting, and then events and things. And now I have a lot of time. So I do fill the time with the deadlines for the various things I'm writing or making. But also, I have extra time where I'm not distracted by other stuff. So I'm having to confront me. And it's all about me filling the time or spending the time. And that for me is is what I'm working through at the moment is how I spend my time in a way that most suits me. And I'm, you know, I'm still fine tuning that because no one else is telling me on, you know, Wednesday at three o'clock, there's acquisitions meeting. Yeah. Time is definitely one of those places where these patriarchal stories turn up that we have to be quote unquote productive with our time, (laughs) which means we have to fill it. And, and, and I think usually this ends up based on most of my conversations with people when we begin working together and myself in the past, it results in a lot of busy work. Yes. You know, oh, I'm, I'm working on my website. I must be busy. I must be productive. <laughs> that must be a productive thing to do. Well, actually not if you want to be a coach. You should probably be coaching people. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> You know, and as we've said, in a creative role, you need space. You need space to recover after being creative. Creativity burns a lot of energy. So rest becomes incredibly important. Rest is really important for me. Yes. I I am now a fan of naps. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have a nap before a coaching session if I need one because I know it will make me a better coach right and that's the priority uh the patriarchy would say no research some aspect of what you're going to be coaching about you're lazy what are you doing you're not doing anything yeah whereas I know I need my empathy and my intuition so if I'm feeling a bit over extended I need to lie down Hmm. for it to come back fully online it's a very different way of being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are you working on at the moment? What are you excited about at the moment? Well, the, the new term at the university uh, begins next month. So I'm excited about this. It's, I, I've been teaching for a while, but this is the first time I'm full-time and I have a, I'm teaching more than just one one class. So I'm excited about it. It's a publishing MA, as you mentioned. So it keeps me in publishing. And since I'm, I'm writing books for publishers, it keeps me in the game. But I'm, I'm able to be in it in a way that I feel like is more, uh, feeds my soul more, you know, working with people who want to get into the industry, teaching them what I've learned. And also, most of them are a lot younger than I am. And talking to them, they're pointing out the things I don't see. They're, they're showing me the ways where I've become s- stuck in the mud and can't understand like, oh, well, things, we never did things that way. <laughs> so they're, you know, they're keeping me fresh, keeping me honest and young as well. And I'm really yeah. excited about that. And just additional podcast episodes or some events coming up. October's a big, a big time for St. Podcast events because of the, the Halloween gothy connection between St. Stories. There's so much beheading and exorcisms and all that that halloween is a big saint podcast event month so those are happening yeah those are happening tell us what's if you're able to tell us what's happening right well this coming weekend is uh an event organized by the folklore society in the uk called saints and mystics it's at saint albans which is an old roman town 
And I'll be doing a talk called The Agony and the Ecstasy about carnal and sacred devotions to saints, how people through the centuries have used images of saints for not only devotional purposes, but for, uh, for pleasure, for, sort of for, for carnal needs. For less than legitimate reasons. Yes, or maybe more legitimate, let's say. Or maybe more, yes. Maybe more legitimate. Um, <laughs> so that's happening. And then later in October, there's a, a, an online conference called Nevermore over a Saturday and Sunday. It's in October. That's organized by the Folklore Podcast. And I'll be doing a talk about exorcisms, the history of exorcisms. and. Oh what exorcisms are, are today, which is, which is <laughs> fascinating and just yeah. bizarre, but awesome and, and cool. Yeah. Very cool. I love what you do. Having gone to Catholic school, I'm not Catholic, but I did go to Catholic school and the Catholics are brilliant storytellers. I think we, we were always having stories about miracles and it's theater. It's, it's, it really is. The wonder lures you in and makes you want to believe. You know, the yeah. whole thing about, oh, I wish magic were real. I want unicorns to be real. You want all this to be real. So why wouldn't you believe? Absolutely. It's really powerful. Are you able to tell us what your next Saint podcast will be about, or is it secret? No, it's not secret. The next. The next episode for everyone is about St. Dominic. And right now we're in the middle of a season about mystics. So these are mainly early monks and nuns and people who had mystical uh, visions, mystical uh, thoughts as well. They're, a lot of them are theologians. So St. Dominic is known as the Hound of the Lord because there's a legend about a dream his mother had about a black dog before he was born. And so he's called the Hound of the Lord, and we'll be exploring what all of that means in the episode, as well as what, you know, his legacy as someone who created the Dominican order, which is a hugely powerful monastic order that have done some great and some horrible things. And we'll be exploring all of that. Very cool. When's, when will that be coming, do you think? Or is that, should I not be pinning you to that? <laughs> I'm <laughs> hoping it'll be out in October. Okay. But we'll be doing an episode for Christmas about St. Nicholas and unpacking who St. Nicholas is vis-a-vis -vis Santa Claus, Father Christmas, but also all the pagan figures, mainly Nordic figures and some Italian ones who contributed to who Santa Claus is, but through uh, St. Nicholas. So that'll, that'll be out in November. So if I don't have time to finish St. Dominic, it's because I really want St. Nicholas to be out for Christmas this year. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll I will look forward to both of them whenever they come. <laughs> Thanks. It's always like a special gift when a new <laughs> podcast drops. Good. <laughs> okay. So my last question for you today is where in your life would you like to get wilder? I think my, my life right now could be wilder still. I think right now I'm sort of mildly wild, <laughs> mildly wildly. And, but I think I could, I could be more wild. I could be wild. I'm, st I'm still finding my feet. Yeah. So I, I think for me about being more wild now is leaning into the discomfort and rather than running from it, face it and be, be like, bring it. Let's yeah. let's let's jump in. Let's see. Let's see how this feels. Let's try it on. Um, and I might run away screaming, but I'm gonna at least try it on first. Um, so yeah, less mild, more wild. <laughs> less mild, more wild. That should be a t-shirt. I love it. Yes, bumper sticker t-shirt mug. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure as always eric i love talking to you likewise thank you thank you for inviting me so thank you for joining us today i know people will want to know how to listen to saint podcast where to find it can you tell them how they can engage with you and the show sure sure so you can find saint podcast on every podcast platform saint is spelled out 
We also have a website, uh, saintpodcast.com, which is in Saint is S-A-I-N-T. It's spelled out. A lot of people think it's S-T, but it's spelled out. And there's also a Patreon page if you wanted to, which has bonus episodes. You also get uh, merch as part of your, your support. And if you just go to patreon.com forward slash Saint Podcast, again, Saint is spelled out. Great. We'll make sure all the links are in the show notes. Great. So that's it for the show. Thank you to my guest, Eric Wong, for sharing his storytelling and his curiosity and creativity with us today. That's it for the show. Becoming Wild is a podcast written and produced by me, Emma Whittard. Special thanks go to Andrea Leader-Wilborn, Sean Dennis, Jill Smolin, and Dean and De Silva. You can get more information about the show and other ways to experience my work at www.emmawittard.com. Please subscribe to Becoming Wild on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of lovely stars. It will make a huge difference to the discoverability of the show. If you'd like more direct coaching from me, please consider joining my Wild Woman community where I post new content every few days and coach in the comments. And we have live coaching sessions every Friday. Or contact me to explore one-to-one coaching. If you have a question about what we covered today or anything else you'd like some support over, you can email me at info at subject line wild questions. And I might just respond on the show. You'll be anonymous, of course. All of this information is in the show notes. Thank you for listening. You matter. What you do matters. And when a woman truly knows that, she changes the world. See you next time on Becoming Wild.